Fading Memories is sponsored by I'm Up. I'm Up is an app that gives you independence, security, and peace of mind. Find it in your favorite app store and use invite code 006 when you sign up. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Before we get into today's helpful episode, I have a little favor to ask you. Can you make sure to go on Apple Podcasts and rate and review Fighting Memories? This is the best way for new people to find the show, and I can't be a supportive podcast if people don't know I exist. And also, pop over to the website, FadingMemoriesPodcast.com, and sign up for the newsletter. Now that I'm into year two, I've got some exciting things coming out that I would like to share with you, and I don't always have to be yakking in your ear to do that. So if you do those two things, I'd really love it. Now, on to today's show. With me today is Sandy Savelle. She is the author of Dear Clueless. So thanks for being with me today, Sandy. You're welcome. So tell me about your mom and her journey and how that led you to write your book. Well, I wasn't surprised when my mother got Alzheimer's because her mother and sister had died from Alzheimer's and also one of her nephews. Um, it seemed to run in the family. Um, when my mother, I didn't want my mother to retire. She was 63 when she retired. She had been a bartender her whole life, same bar forever. In fact, the school bus used to, when I was like in fourth and fifth grade, the, and I'm 63 now, the school bus used to drop me off in front of her bar and I'd go in and I'd sit there and do my homework and drink cherry Cokes until she got <laughs> off work. So she had been there forever and she had developed cervical cancer, had surgery for it. It went beautifully. She had a great recovery, but she decided it was time to retire. I flew down to Florida and literally sobbing, got on my knees in front of her and said, please, whatever you do, don't retire. Just work two days a week. And she said, no. And what frightened me is, is especially with my aunt who passed away, once she retired, she seemed to just like dive into the pool of dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, and I knew my mother was such a social person. I was afraid that once she retired, she wasn't going to be social anymore. And at her age, she was starting to lose friends. You know, maybe they were moving in with a, a child or, you know, were ill or had passed away. But I wanted her to be out with people. I knew that wasn't going to happen if she retired. And it didn't. Her and my stepdad got up in the morning, had their coffee, went out, had a great big breakfast, came home, had a drink. They chain smoked. Um, my mother was one of these people that watched news shows and screamed at the TV all day long. <laughs> uh, which I knew wasn't going to be good for her. And then they'd have a great big dinner and a couple more cocktails. And that would be their day, day in and day out. And then my stepdad died. Oh, and dear. once he died, and my mother never drove. So her life became smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And one of the things, if you do a lot of reading about delaying the onset of Alzheimer's, it says you, you have to be out with people. You have to be social. Um, loners or losers is what one book uh, that I read said, you know, if you're a loner, you're going to lose your brain. And that's what happened to her. And I saw it. I worried when my parents and I had a photography studio, portrait studio together, and we processed film and, and the pictures for the, the portraits. 
and I knew that she was in trouble. She had not been diagnosed. She was firmly in the denial lane, but she'd had more and more daffy moments. And I was hovering because she would take orders from clients and not write, write down directions or due dates or anything useful. So I would make sure that I, I was part of conversations if I could manage it or I, I did everything I could to make sure that somebody else knew what she had told the client. And my dad wanted to be done. He, he was good at, um, you know, I called it creditor jousting. He liked to argue with the landlord about their baloney. And, you know, it was like, it was like, it was like two idiots arguing with each other half the time. It was like (laughs) landlords are being jerks. Yes. Are you, are you helping the situation? No. And he just added, so he was ready to be done. And when the lease was almost up, I guess there was a situation that could have been interpreted as the landlord breaking lease. My dad was done. We were out of there. And that was a little traumatic for me, but <laughs> I was concerned because I'm like, this is good because I'm going out on my own and mom, you know, she'll be able to do the things she wanted. But I knew that not having the daily stimulation of clients and the work was not going to be good for her. And that was March of 2005. She was formally diagnosed in September of 2011, but by then anybody that knew her knew she was in trouble. Yeah. She was actually also denied donating a kidney to my dad in the summer of 2008, so 3 years prior to being diagnosed because of cognitive impairment. Gotcha. So I knew that uh. I, I I've and I've talked to and done a lot of research about, you know, the importance of especially in the early stages, keeping somebody engaged. And there's a gal that I interviewed. She's here in Northern California. She has a 5013C um, startup where they want to take small groups of early stage Alzheimer's or dementia people on activities that give them a sense of purpose, like going to the pet shelter and you know, cleaning up the pets, bathing, brushing, you know, and then playing with the dogs and the cats, going to a urban garden and helping there and then maybe having something to eat there. She's got a lot of really good ideas. I need to, now that spring is here, I need to touch base and see. So I'm not that far from her. So I want to go with, with one of these groups to one of these activities because they sound fantastic. Because like a lot of the adult day programs, Mm-hmm. They do a lot of crafts and games and stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of men that they just, that doesn't, that's not their yeah. thing. And, and this, I think giving somebody a sense of purpose, um, I think that would be really, really very healthy for them. Yeah. Well, everybody needs a sense of purpose. And I think when you retire and, you know, your kids are grown and maybe your grandchildren are teenagers and they're not so hip on hanging out with grandma and grandpa right now. <laughs> You know, I think you kind of, I don't know, I'm not at that point yet, but I think you kind of lose that sense of purpose. And it's, if you don't feel well, like my dad had chronic illnesses and I know my mom knew she had problems. She, like I said, she was just firmly in the denial lane. I think it's hard to muster the energy to, to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm not doing this and the grandkids don't really need me. So I have to find something else. My, both my parents were in service organizations. My dad was a Rotarian. My mom was a Seroptimist. So they did have that, but I don't think it was enough. No, because that's like once a month and then you have one or two functional events a year. Um, you really need to be, I think, doing something weekly, a couple times a week, if, if at all possible. 
Yeah, Rotary is almost weekly, but you could get like my dad got to the point where he would just attend the weekly meetings and he had done all of the board positions, some of the district positions, which is, you know, the clubs are grouped together in districts and, mm-hmm. and he'd been there, done that with everything. And there wasn't really anything he wanted to do. Right. So he kind of, he kind of slipped into the, just going to the lunch meetings every week. And even then he didn't do that as often. So yeah, I don't know about the Seroptimist group because unfortunately service organizations in North America are having a hard time engaging younger adults. Yes. And so people get older and I know the Seroptimist is shrinking. Rotary is only growing in non North America countries. So it's, it's holding, but not, not here. So it's, you know, it's easy to just start going to just the luncheons and then going home again. Yeah. And that's what my mom ended up doing and they didn't go every week. So. Well, she, she had nothing. I mean, once, once she retired and then once Jim died, you know, I just watched her world growing smaller and smaller. And um, I started, I was living in Virginia. She was in West Palm Beach. I was flying down every three or four months. And just just kind of checking on her, and I started noticing things like um, she didn't have a coffee maker anymore. She was making instant coffee. Mm. Um, there was almost no food in the house. I mean, there'd be things that she'd snack on, like bananas, yogurt, crackers, cookies, that kind of stuff. There was a little restaurant on the corner that she liked, and she would go there uh, fairly often to eat. And, she really had no appetite, but she didn't remember how to make a sandwich. She wasn't remembering, of course, how to cook. Um, I, I do have to tell this funny story. Um, the neighborhood had changed quite a bit. It had gone from a, a little neighborly neighborhood and then became a, a little more commercial. And a little bit of it was on the city side. And she would sometimes walk to, walk to McDonald's, which was about four blocks. And she had a little bit of heart disease. And... Um, there was a um, topless bar halfway down there that had a bench outside, and it was called Dixie D Cups. Oh, cute. And she would sometimes sit down on the bench and take a little rest. And every so often, I'd get a phone call from a friend of mine in West Palm Beach saying, hey, saw your mom sitting on the bench outside of Dixie D Cups again. I'd say, well, you know, she needs to do something to supplement her social security. <laughs> <laughs> But but I noticed things like she was always very well kept and, you know, her hair would be greasy because she would forget her hair appointment. She was still one of those ladies that went every week to have her hair bouffanted, you know, mm-hmm. and she would forget. Um, I would get calls from the doctor's office saying, your mom showed up, got a cab and she showed up for her appointment. She didn't have an appointment. And then she got pretty nasty with everybody because she, you know, said we forgot her appointment. Um, and just the house was, she was always, I used to call her a Hungarian housework Nazi. And uh, <laughs> the house was not clean anymore. Um, she wasn't using the washer and dryer. She would take her clothes off, do a little dunk in the sink and hang them on the line to air out and then wear them again. So that's when I, I knew, you know, things were, things were really bad, but I couldn't get her to come live with me until she got a, a really bad bout of AFib which landed her in the hospital for a week. And I went down there Christmas day and I walked in the hospital room and my mom always had this great reverence for doctors. And I said, the doctors will not allow you to live on your own anymore. 
the doctors have signed all the papers so you can't live alone anymore. So you're going to come and live with me. Otherwise, I would have never gotten her. Gotten her. So that was a fiblet? Oh, that was a, no, that was a big, bold-faced lie. <laughs> that was a whopper one. Okay. <laughs> I think that's one of the hardest things is you notice these things and they have no clue. No. Like we, my mom lives in a memory care that's attached to an assisted living. So it's one great big residence and the hairdresser comes and, you know, I, I text the hairdresser and say, Hey, you know, mom's about due again. And she gets her on the schedule and then she'll go over to the memory care and get my mom and take her to the salon that's in the assisted living. And we had an issue. Well, the, the previous hairdresser there just put my mom on a five week rotation. So I didn't even have to worry about it. She just got done. I, the bill would pop up on the email and I'd pay it and that was it. Now this gal is not quite as organized. So I have to put, I put a reminder on my phone to, to call this gal so that, you know, I'm not looking at mom going, man, she's really shaggy, but we were having them color her hair and it, and it was growing out. My mom's a brunette. So it was growing out. So she had this, you know, skunk stripe down the middle and it just, Oh my God, it looked terrible. And I, and one day I was there and she's using like a, one of those perm combs, you know, the three wire tongue okay, pick things okay, yeah. on hair. That's a little longer than yours. And I thought, why are we spending, or, you know, we're spending her money, but why, why are we spending the money to have it colored? First off, they're coloring it way too dark. It's driving me bananas because she was always a, a light brown, not dark chestnut brown. I'm like, why are we paying money to have it colored when she doesn't even remember to comb it? Yeah. So it's yeah. mostly grown out at this point. She's getting it, getting it done next week again. So I think that time might, might lose all the, old color but it's just you know and i went through the a similar thing last summer where she was giving them fits on showering and not changing clothes and it's oh, like you don't yeah. yeah that's a pretty common one i went to the support group and i said okay look you know i don't have to worry about it on a daily basis but every every time i've gone and seen my mom she's had on the same sweater it's 105 degrees out and she's wearing a three-quarter length medium weight sweater so we don't need that. I mean, I, and it's dry heat here. You go outside, you know, and then yeah. you know how the elderly don't like to drink water. No. So I was always forcing her to change. And two thirds of our group that night are all like, oh yes, yeah, shower and clothes changing. We all need it. We all need an answer. So it was, yeah. it's, it's a definite sign that support groups are very useful because, you know, we all, we all have the same question. I think we we're all a little bit embarrassed to ask. Yes. And then somebody else will say something and you'll go, oh my gosh, yeah, that's what I'm going through. And um, I had, um, when mom came to live with us, I was still working um, about six hours a day. So I, had, I ended up, I was so fortunate. I found a wonderful woman to come and stay with mom, a caregiver. She was great with mom. And so when mom went into assisted living, I kept her on for like six, eight hours a week. She was the only one who could get my mom in the shower. And what she would do, she wouldn't even ask mom. She would, because they charged so much to wash mom's clothes at this. I wanted mom close to the house. She was two miles down, down the road and I had a password to and from work. So I was always going, you know, popping in to see her. But um, her name was Sheila and she would go in and she'd gather up all mom's dirty clothes and she'd drop it off on my front porch and I'd wash clothes and then she'd pick it up. So mom 
even though she probably would have put the same thing on over and over again, um, she didn't get the chance to. She'd have to go and find something plain that was in the closet or in the drawer. But no, it's, it's no, I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Yeah, it's a, I, I've talked to somebody or there was somebody at the support group. I talked to so many people. I lose track of where, where I've talked to them. This gal would go into the bathroom, get all of the toiletries out, the towel out, the washcloth out, start the water so that when her mom, I think it was mom, got up and went to use the restroom in the first thing in the morning, the shower is running and it's already warm and all that nice stuff. And it just kind of triggered, oh, that's what I need to do next. And that's how she encouraged her mom into the shower. Because if she said, oh, hey, mom, it's time to take a shower. It was like trying to throw a cat in there. It yeah, just didn't work. not happening. No. And so I've, I've suggested that the gal that is in charge of mom's showers where she lives knows that, she, that when she gets to work first thing in the morning on the days that mom is supposed to shower, she gets in, clocks in, and she goes in and she tells my mom, oh, good morning. You know, we're going to have a shower this morning or whatever it is. Because if my mom even gets up, it's a no-go. And if she gets close to putting on clothes, forget it. Yeah. So she's figured out how to, how to work with my mom. But the suggestion the facilitator of our support group had for the clothing, one, and I tried, is just to get five or six of the same shirt. It's much easier for men. Or, you know, get the same sweater. And I'm like, well, we bought the sweater like a year and a half ago, so that's not happening. And they, and she said, narrow down the choices to like six or seven outfits. And my first reaction was, my mom had two huge closets full of clothes. Yeah. She had clothes as old as my daughter, who I just said yeah. was 27. Yeah. And they didn't even fit. And I couldn't get help her get rid of them. It was so frustrating. So when we moved her into the memory care and she had, you know, like literally like a two and a half foot wide closet, to me, it was like, if I narrow it down any further, the woman's not going to have any clothes. But what I did, because it was, I believe, October, and weather's changing, I took out all the short sleeve shirts, all of the stuff that was too big, and brought it all home. I brought home the sweater, too, which never went back, even though we had winter, and now it's, <laughs> we're back to spring, so I guess I'll give it back to her next winter. And I haven't seen the same outfit twice. I do occasionally see somebody else's clothes. Oh, yes. Every so often I'd walk into mom's memory care unit and I'd say, I bought that shirt for her like in North Carolina two or three years ago. I mean, you know, I bought it at a little, a little place where the person made the clothes. And I, I don't know if people will go into somebody else's room and goes, oh, I'll go, oh, I like that and pick it up and put it on or if they trade clothes like you did in high school. I had no idea. I think it was that. And like all of mom's stuff has her room number on the tags because mm -hmm. it's much easier than her name. Yeah. And I went a month or so ago and she was wearing, now she, my mom has never owned black bras that I'm aware of. So she's wearing a black sports bra. <gasps> people have heard, people have heard on the podcast that I have no idea where this black sports bra came from and I don't ask. <laughs> it's like whatever but she had like a button down um cardigan and the button right in the middle of the chest was broken so it kept coming undone so she basically had the top two buttons buttoned and i kept looking at her i'm like i don't think she has a shirt on under that jacket 
And I finally wrestled her out of it and said, well, let me take it home and fix that button. And I, when I got it home, I'm like, this is not mom's room number. So I haven't fixed the button or taken it back because I'm not sure whose it is. <laughs> it's like, you know, and she, when I saw her this week, she had on a shirt that I don't know. I don't know if it was hers or not, but it was cute. So I'm not going to worry about it. She worked good in it. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, it worked. It was like for once the pants and the shirts, the, yeah, the shirt and the pants matched. She has a tendency to wear black shirts and blue pants, which makes me insane. My husband does that. makes me insane. It's not just mom. I'm not into black and blue together. I tell, tell my husband, you look like a bruise. Can you put on different pants, different shirt? It doesn't go over well with him either. So I, I stopped trying to get people to change clothes. But that was, that was a suggestion, especially for men, is you know, if they like the, the tan cargo pants and the, you know, the plaid shirt, buy them five pairs of pants and five of the same shirt, and then you don't have to worry about it. You could just... They're happy wearing the same thing over and over and you're getting them in clean clothes. That's it. A little, little trickier with ladies. Yeah. We, I had to replace mom's shoes a couple of weeks ago and I'm glad I took her with me, although taking her shopping is totally not fun. And I found a pair that were very similar to what she had on. Black slip-on with a little metal decorative thing on the front. Of course, it was like, I swear, it had to be the most expensive shoes at Penny's. <laughs> The gal rang him up. I'm like, $65, really? <laughs> I'm like, whatever. And I took, I, I, I had the gal take the tags off and everything. And I said, here you go. Put your shoes back on. And I took the old shoes home and tossed them because they were, they were two years old. She wears them every day, all day. She tells me her feet are cold. I'm like, well, why don't you put on the fuzzy socks that you bought? What fuzzy socks? I'm like, Ones that you insisted you liked. You've got like four pairs in your drawer. It's so frustrating. <laughs> but yeah, they don't seem to notice, you know, that they are not, you know, like I know my parents weren't eating well. My sister started taking them freezer bags full of crockpot meals that she had instructions on for my dad. This was 2015, 2016. But I've also talked to people who said, think about how many steps it takes to make a sandwich. You have to get out the bread and the meat and the cheese and the condiments, and then you got to put it all together and maybe slice it. That's a lot of steps. It is yeah, a lot Cooking of steps. is a lot of steps. So I think, I think improper eating is a, an early sign, and I think a lot of senior citizens go out because it's easier. Yeah. So like your mom, at least she was walking to the restaurant. Well, yeah, yeah, and it was, was, and they knew her there and everything else, but I made the mistake, uh, she was here with us about four months, and now she made an incredible mac and cheese (laughs) my whole life. I was probably 40 years old before I ever had mac and cheese in a box. Just It probably didn't taste too good. No, but you know, hey, you know, I was working three jobs at the time, I got used to it because it became a staple for a while, but um I had mentioned to her, boy, I miss your mac and cheese. Well, I come home from work. And as I opened the door, I could smell pasta boiling. And I'm thinking, oh, God, no. And she had, she had every burner revved up. She had a pot on every burner. They were oh boiling furiously. She had put pasta in every pot, and she was just standing in the kitchen crying. Oh. And I said, 
what are you doing? Are you making and this? This is one of the first time I said, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Cause I, you know, she'd only been with me four months. I was still reacting. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, don't freak out. I said, Hey, what are you doing? She goes, I'm trying to make you mac and cheese. And I said, well, you're doing great. She said, I am. I said, yeah. I said, I said, let me go ahead and drain all this. And then I'll give you a call when it's time to make the sauce and you can teach me how to make the sauce. And she said, okay. And she went in her bedroom and turned on TV and I, I drained everything. I put another pot on because all the pasta, she must've been boiling it for 20 minutes. It was lush. Oh, and so I made it. And when she woke up, she, she had forgotten that I was supposed to get her to make the sauce. And I said, I think this is your sauce. She goes, yeah, it is. But you know, you, you know, get, getting them to eat properly. One of the funniest things, you know, as a, as a bartender, my mom drank regularly. Like, you know, every day starting about 10 o'clock. She honestly, she she was a high functioning alcoholic. I saw her drunk once in her lifetime, but she drank every day starting about 10 in the morning. That's just, but she drank slowly throughout the day. She never switched, you know, she, Canadian mist and water was her thing and an occasional beer. And uh, being from Pittsburgh, where the doctor's office where I worked, we had a patient who went to Pittsburgh for some kind of a treatment uh, every six weeks. So I would give her husband the money and he would show up at the doctor's office carrying two cases of Iron City beer. It's only brewed in Pittsburgh. It's total swell. No, it's not really swell. I can't say that, but nobody drinks it unless you've been born and raised in Pittsburgh. Let's put it that way. And uh, I would come home from work and um, depending on the mood she was in, I'd say, hey, you want to split an Iron City with me? This went on for like two years. Every single time she'd go, you have Iron City? Where'd you get the Iron City? I'd say, well, patient brings it for me, mom. It's a gift. He knows you're from Pittsburgh. And every day it was the same response. She never remembered that she learned mm-hmm. city the day before. Well, in one respect, it's always a joyful little surprise and for what? her. <laughs> and that's how we have to look at things sometimes. You know, yeah. it's hard, you know, when they repeat the same thing. It's like, oh, Lord, uh, <laughs> again. Yeah. It's like, how many more times am I going to say this? Yeah. I, I tried, like I mentioned earlier, I take my mom out to the regional park, which there are two close to her. And when we were going out this time last year, she walked a lot better. And now her visual processing is really screwed up and the shadows confuse her. So we went out three weeks ago and she's literally walking bent over and then, and watching her feet. And I kept saying, you know, they say if you watch your, wherever you're watching is where you'll end up. So if you're looking at the ground, you might fall over. That didn't really work. It did for a minute and then she's back looking at her feet and and literally stepping around and gingerly walking around the shadows. And it's like, okay, I know she's enjoying herself. I showed the video that I took of her to my daughter. My daughter's like, oh my God, that's so sad. And I'm like, it is, but she was having a good time. So I just had to make sure that she didn't, fall and we went out this week and it was cloudy so there was far less shadows and she walked a lot better and i got smarter i'd be like oh look at the beautiful fluffy clouds she'd look up and walk a few steps and then all of a sudden she's walking looking down her feet again and then i'd be like oh look at the bird in the tree (laughs) (laughs) now see my my mother never saw shadows on the ground but if she saw shadows in a room 
she would hallucinate. And they were either a big cat that's going to kill her cat. Oh, dear. Or um, it's, it's the little boy that sleeps next to me. It was always, it was either had something to do with a cat or had something to do with children. Well, it's interesting. I took, so three weeks we went to the park. So two weeks ago, we went to the library here in town. It is brand new was grand opening was September 29th, 2018. So it's not even, it's like six months old. And my husband's office is next door. And I said, Hey, when you get to the office, text me if there's kids, there. it was during spring break. And I said, cause you know, my mom likes to watch children. And I've, I don't know how often I've said this on, on the air, but we were leaving one day and the caregiver said, Oh, Hey, where are you guys going? I'm like, Oh, we're going to go find some kids. Cause mom likes to watch kids. And I thought, Oh my God, this sounds like a <laughs> creeper. It's a good thing they understood what I was talking about because that did not sound good. So we go to the library and there's these twin little girls running around and mom sat. Fortunately, we weren't terribly close to them because my mom does like to comment, oh, beautiful children and started to make me a little bit nervous because I know that she's not processing what she's seen logically for a lack of a better term. Well, as we left the library, there were two women, one probably in her 40s and one early 20s with tall, like, almost like a magazine rack on wheels with religious uh, flyers in it. They were um, promoting their church and their religion. And I just said hello and kept walking. And, you know, I was polite, but I'm like, not engaging with you guys. And my mom looks over and she, she asked the younger gal, about the child in the stroller. And the poor gal looked at me like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom thinks that's a stroller. I don't know why she thinks there's a child in there. Cause it was all, you know, angled lines, yeah. straight lines, nothing that I would have interpreted as a child, no matter how crazy my eyesight was. And so I don't remember what I said to mom, but I kind of pushed mom ahead of me and I turned around and I mouthed to them that she had Alzheimer's. And I thought, this you know, these ladies, it was poor younger gal. She probably hadn't dealt with too many people like my mom. And that was just so bizarre. Yeah. I mean, I was caught off guard and I'm used to mom. So it was like, okay, that's really crazy. And that's all kind of new. So I, when I take her out, I try to remember that we might not be able to do this this time next year, which is, is sad. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't want to sit around the memory care residents with her asking me, so what have you been up to today? So what have you been up to today? She does that every two minutes. And I, after 20 minutes, I can't come up with any more, any more pieces of my day. I'll tell her this piece, that piece, the next right. piece, all of it together. You know, people say, well, just make stuff up. And I don't know. I don't really want to make up stuff about my own life. Well, it just sounds- it's just kind of hard to do, you know, well, of course, you know, people who are telling you to do that aren't living your life. Right. You know, I used to get all, all, all sorts of advice from people. And um, I would say that probably 99% of the advice was from people who had never lived this life, had never been a caregiver for somebody with an advanced Alzheimer's. And one of the things, when we, we had moved here, my mother came, came to live with us less than a year after we moved here. And I was having trouble adjusting because we had moved away from Virginia, we'd moved down to South Carolina, beautiful area, loved our house, um, but I hadn't made good friends yet. I hadn't connected with the church yet. I had a job that I liked, but this is a small town and nobody knew me yet. 
you know, you, you, you it was small town living. You know, I lived right outside of Washington, D.C. So there are a lot of things, um, a lot of things going on. And um, I would have people come up to me if I'd say something like I look tired. I'd say I had a really bad day with mom or mom was up all night just, you know, driving us crazy, wouldn't go to bed. And I'd have people say, I wish my mama was still alive. I miss her so much. And then I'd find out that her mother died at 44 years old in a car accident. Well, heck yeah, you miss her. Yeah. You know, I'm going to miss the 44-year-old mother that I remember, but I'm not going to miss the 85-year-old one who is chasing the cat with a broom because it needs discipline. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> yeah, we had to take that broom away from her eventually. She never I'm really, sure. She never really heard it, but she scared the heck out of that cat all the time. I just picture lamps getting broken and stuff just getting smashed on accident. Yeah, no, we were pretty lucky with that. Pretty lucky with that. But um, yeah. yeah, I've had people. I've had people tell me, "Well, you're gonna miss your mom when she's gone," and it's like, "My mom is gone." You know? yeah, that's a good <laughs> a, point. That's yeah. A point. I mean, what? she doesn't. When I when I say, "Hi, mom," it's Jennifer. She only has two kids. You know, it shouldn't be terribly difficult to like clue in that Jennifer is your oldest kid. But I've had her talk to me about me and my sister as if I'm, I don't know who the hell she thinks I am. Mm -hmm. Actually, she thinks I'm her really good friend or her sister, which, okay, you know, I don't mind being the really good friend. It's really weird why it bugs me that she thinks I'm my aunt. (laughs) (laughs) Probably because my aunt drives me crazy. My aunt is not super mentally well either. And she'll text my sister to ask me a question like, is anybody doing anything with mom on Easter? And my sister works full-time, has school-age kids, so, you know, she's busy with them. So they go on the weekend. I go on Mondays. And that I've said, assume I'm going on Monday. Any other day is open. You're, you've got to go on the weekend. Check with Jeanette. It can't possibly be that hard. There's only two of us. And she never, she never calls me. She, it's always, she'll text my husband. She texts my sister. It's like, whatever. That's strange. It's, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. Well, I you think, know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I think when she, when my dad was in the hospital for a month, my mom would stay with me. She'd stay with my sister and then she'd be at her own home with her sister taking care of her. And occasionally there were challenges. And I think I'm the oldest, I'm self-employed, you know, my daughter's an adult. So I think I just took charge. I mean, I never treated my aunt badly, but I think in her perspective, I might have been too bossy or this or that or whatever, you know, family dynamics, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They're always, you know, it was a very stressful time. I should have been given a lot of slack. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Definitely. think I got any. So. Definitely. so I sometimes think, well, she talks to my sister, she talks to my husband. She obviously doesn't like me. So I think that's why it bugs me when my mom will say, well, that's my sister. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> I, don't look like my aunt. I don't talk like my aunt, you know, it's like, just call me your really good friend. That's much better. <laughs> but it's weird. You know, and so people say, you know, oh, you're going to miss her when, you know, she can't, when she can't ask you what you've been up to. And I'm like, nope. Or my mom is very good at, she had, I've had dogs all my life. And when I was pregnant with my oldest, my mother-in-law said, now you'll be getting rid of the dogs now, won't you? My mom's good at that story. I don't need to hear that story ever again. <laughs> Especially because my dad's mom, her mother-in-law is still alive at 101. Wow. Well, yeah, and fine. Oh, you know, 
yeah, there's no, there's no telling, you know, I don't know if it's genetics or just what, but you don't, you don't miss the mother you're going to lose now. You miss the mom from, from years back, yeah. you know, exactly. Yeah. I tell a lot of stories about, you know, my, my mother, my mother was a hoot. She was a total hoot, you know, being a bartender and, and all that. Um, I got to tell you a really quick, funny story. Um, I used to, my mother didn't drive and she would go at the drop of a hat and Disney had just opened, had been open a short while, and I found an ad in the paper for $29 for hotel rooms, and it was just <laughs> for that week only. So I called, made the reservations, called her at work. I said, I'm going to come pick you up. Still getting off at 6.30. Okay, we're going to Disney World for two days. Got your bags packed. She was so excited. Now, this was 41 years ago. Um, you could still drink and drive in Florida 41 years ago as long as you were not driving erratically. So it's a long drive from West Palm Beach to Orlando. So we put in Nail Diamond and had two bottles of champagne. Oh my God. And you know, we, we just, we got to Orlando and there was no Garmin in those days. I didn't even nope. think about bringing, I was 22. You know, I was blonde and clueless. And, <laughs> and we get to Orlando, I can't find the hotel. And we're driving all around Orlando and we're still singing Neil Diamond at the top of our lungs. And next thing I see all these blue lights behind me. Uh -oh. But they weren't police cars. They were like open jeeps. And I'm like, gee, you know, and I, I finally, you know, pulled over. Don't ask me how, but I had gotten onto the naval base. <gasps> oh, yeah. dear. And it's like two in the morning. Well, she, my mother thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. She is still laughing. And they're questioning me. And I like, how'd you get on the base? I don't know. Well, did you go through a gate? I don't remember coming through a gate. Well, where'd you? I, I said, I don't, I honestly don't know. And they look in and they see the two bottles of champagne, you know, and then they see mom going, hey, you're cute. Oh, God. <laughs> They, they wrote out the directions for me. They escorted us to, and they had guns. I mean, when they came to my car, they, they had their guns. They had their, their rifles in their, in their hands. Yeah, they wanted to know what the heck you were doing. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, we were a danger, but to nobody but ourselves. And they got us to the front gate, and they said, if we see you back on this, on this base for any reason whatsoever, we are going to put you in the brig. Now, this is how you get to your hotel. And we still, well, until she passed away, you know, she would still remember that occasionally, but that's the kind of mom I had. And yeah, that would be fun. That's the kind of mom I've been with my daughter. We went to Albuquerque. My husband worked for the um, Sandia National Labs Credit Union, and that's where their headquarters is. And he was down there for a meeting. So we flew down for the weekend and... I'm horribly directionally challenged. And this was before the iPhones came out and I'm in the left lane. And I, I think I'm like almost in the left turn lane of a four lane road. And I realized I need to turn right. So I just wait till all the cars pass me and I turn right. And my daughter's going, Oh my God. <laughs> like you want to drive? <laughs> so, and she still harasses me about that one. Sometimes oh. like you made a right hand turn across four lanes from the left lane. I'm like, Yes, but I waited until all the cars passed. Oh, yeah. Hey, what's the That's problem? stupid. Well, when mom went into assisted living, one of the funny things was my mom, I guess, being married to my dad and then working in a bar all of her life, she had a, um, she, her opinion of men wasn't real high. And um, she couldn't remember, of course, anybody's names. So every man who was in assisted living was dubbed numbnuts. 
<laughs> That's funny. And there was one poor man who was a he was a retired pastor, and the look on his face every time she'd call him numb nuts, and I'd say, Mom, you know, Pastor Simmons has probably never been called that in his life because well, it's about time. <laughs> oh, good Lord. <laughs> It's nice when they don't lose their sense of humor. She, she really, she, even when she was in the hospital, even when she, she broke her hip and was in the hospital for nine days. Now she had a lot of hallucina, hallucinating in there because of the morphine, but, um, oh my God, you should have seen her orthopedic doctor. He was stunningly beautiful <laughs> and he comes in and my mom's in a striker frame, you know, and he takes these big muscled arms and he's leaning on the striker frame talking to my mother and I look at my mother and I go you're an incredible witch you know that she goes why well, I said you get all the good looking doctors you know and he was a little embarrassed she goes yeah I know so suck it up <laughs> she <went>. funny <laughs> we were at the neurologist with my mom and my mom's general physician's office is great we don't wait I make sure I'm never late I try to make sure I'm there about five minutes before her appointment which, you know, when you've got somebody with memory challenges, that's not always oh. easy. Mm. So um, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at timing it because her doctor's office is literally down the hill from my house. So I have to leave, drive 15 miles or 15 minutes over to mom, come back this way, past my house practically, and it's like back and forth. So I know, I know that path very well and how long it'll take as long as I remember the time when the schools get out because that throws everything in, into chaos. But we go to the neurologist and they're like an hour behind and they don't bother to tell me. And it's like, she's starting to get nasty, which I don't blame her. I was getting really irritated too. So I finally tell, I go up to the, the desk and I say, look, my mom has advanced Alzheimer's and I'm having a difficult time keeping her calm. So we need to speed this up. I'm like there are other people here. There was in the office is being, the building is being renovated. So there's a lot of doctors in one office. So I couldn't tell who was there to see who, but I'm like, we need to speed this up because she's getting really cranky and I'm having a very difficult time keeping her calm. So then I let her go up there and, and bitch at them. We finally get in the room, which okay, at least it's now a change of pace. So it's been about a half hour, 40 minutes and we're sitting in there. And I think this was before Christmas and there was, there must've been music going on or something. And, Mom and I cannot sing. We cannot carry a tune if you give us a handle. So singing is not something we do. And she, I, I forgot how the conversation started, but maybe she was humming or something to the music or made a comment about the music. And I said, well, you want to sing along? And she goes, oh, God, no. And I said, well, maybe if they think we're howling in here, they'll come in and find out what's going on. And she laughed. And so it's, it's fun when I can bring out her humor. Yes. It's not always easy. Yes. And, but the, my biggest challenge with her is getting her to do anything other than just ask me the same question over and over. I, yeah. I talked to a guest about art therapy for um, dementia, people living with dementia so when we went to the regional park, we did leaf rubbing. And of course it's spring, so there's not a lot of leaves to rub right now. They're just starting to come out. So we were sitting on a fallen tree and I'm like, oh, let's just rub the bark. Cause I don't really care what it looks like. She did one and then refused to do it again. And I'm like, yeah, it's yeah. not that hard. I don't understand. So I'm slowly realizing that she's really a lot worse off than I thought. 
because she's so physically fit. She walks fine. She eats fine. You know, she seems like she speaks fine, but I think it's all just repetition, rote behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did you come about writing your book? Because I love the title. Um, Well, my... Well, we came up with the title because I would come home from somewhere and be crying and say to my husband, somebody said this, or, you know, somebody challenged me with this, or the doctor was a jerk, or, you know, somebody had some comment about my mother or whatever. He'd go, honey, they're clueless. They're clueless. And he used to say to me, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And um, for a long time, I did. Well, I was very sick. I started getting bowel obstructions about two years after mom came to live with us. And it, and it was, I, I'd never had that kind of a problem before, but they were the kind that put me in the hospital. Yeah, that doesn't and, sound fun. Um, within two years after mom died, I had like three in a row. I had surgery. It turned out it was Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Oh, my daughter has Crohn's. Yeah. And so I lost some of the large, some of the small intestines, you know, I'm on Humira, the whole nine yards now. But just 10 months after that, I lost the gallbladder. And two months after that, I ended up with ocular lymphoma in my eye. And, um, and I think what was keeping me, well, ocular lymphoma, of course, it's in your eye, but I think what was keeping me from sitting down and writing the book was the fact that I was just sick. But once I decided to write the book, and I had kept notes. I had kept notes of things that happened so I wouldn't forget them. I uh, decided to self-publish. I didn't want a publisher telling me I had to take this out or take that out. So um, I signed with a self-publishing company and I told myself, here's what you're doing. You're writing 500 words a day. I don't care if it takes you five minutes or five hours. You write 500 words a day for five days a week. On Saturdays, you edit and make changes. And on Sunday, you rest. I had that book done in four and a half months. That's fast. Thank God I did because I sent it in on Friday. Monday, I went in and I had what was supposed to be a little cyst taken out of my eye, the size of a big vitamin E capsule. And then I found out 10 days later, there was ocular lymphoma. And I didn't have to have chemo, but I had to have radiation. I don't think I would have finished the book. Hmm. I, after, after I got through the radiation, I think I just would have said, yeah, whatever. So, but it was very interesting because the book was printed and came to me while I was still getting radiation. So I started hitting up the doctors and the nurses and the patients and I'm, and um, and I would take an Ativan before I would go to get the radiation because they would bolt my head down to the table. Oh, yeah. And I was in this like mask that they would bolt down and then the radiation came right, you know, it, the machine came right to here. And um, I knew I had after radiation about 45 minutes before the Ativan would really hit and knock me out. So I would leave there and I was right next to the hospital and all these doctor's offices. So I would call on one or two doctor's offices and head home before the eye to be, you know, just, you know, took me under. Like We have to get this gal well because she keeps hitting us up to buy this book. I, I really think it helped keep me going. Cause I, I been, believe so. Cause I had been sick for a few years and you know, I think that would have been like, I don't want to do anything anymore. You know, I just, eh. so I had the book to sell and I had the word to get out and, um, and I've kept going. I just had a huge book tour this past um, fall, October and November, with an assisted living community. And um, I'm going to North Carolina next week. I've got uh, two speaking engagements there. So, yeah. be fun. It is. So, Dear Clueless is not about you. It's Clueless is about all the people around you. Well, and also me. 
it's just, it's not about mom. I've had a few people say, how could you call your mom clueless? And I'm like, that wasn't directed towards my mother. I was clueless as to what was going to happen in my life and how difficult this was going to be. And all the other people who have never taken care of anybody with Alzheimer's who had an opinion. Yeah, I get a little snarky now with opinions, but I'm going to tell you another funny story is somebody had an opinion in my church and it wasn't a kind opinion towards me. And my pastor came around the corner and I was just standing there crying. And he said, what's going on? And I told him, and, and this was not the first time he had heard that there had been a couple of nasty opinions. And he said, let me tell you something. The next time anybody says anything like that to you, you just pick up the phone and call me and your redneck Pentecostal pastor will pay them a personal visit. <laughs> I've never heard. I, that word got around. Nobody's ever said another word. <laughs> and, but the thing is, is I've actually had people have come to me and apologized because somebody who said something to me 10 years ago when I was taking care of mom now has an uncle or an aunt or a parent with Alzheimer's. And they said, we had no idea. I'm always amazed at the people. Most of this is on social media. I don't actually meet them in person, but all these people who relate taking care of your parent is the same as like, well, my mom was there when I was a baby. And when I, she changed my diapers and she wiped my fanny. And I'm like, it's not the same. Oh, you know what I tell people when they say that? I said, your mother put you on a changing table while you were still drinking milk and changed your diaper. I said, have you ever tried to change the diaper of somebody who doesn't want their diaper changed and had pizza, two milkshakes, and a couple of apples the night before? Have you tried? I mean, it's don't don't even go there with me. Yeah, that makes me insane. When I, I read that, I have to click off onto something else because I, I, I don't, I don't want to correct them on social media. I, there was one time I, I said something, I responded to something like, it's not the same as raising a child and somebody challenged me and I'm like, I'm not even going in that rabbit hole. Yeah. Well, um, with a child, if they're acting up, you know, they're eventually going to grow up and become adults. Whereas you're going in the opposite direction when you're dealing with Alzheimer's. And let me just say for people listening to the podcast, don't say anything if you haven't lived it, please. Yeah, for real. Well, and they're not children. You yeah. can't, I can't treat my mom like a child because yeah. one, she gets really pretty, pretty unhappy with you if you do. And isn't it funny how they pick that up really quick? Yeah. Cause when she was having uh, struggles with the caregiver for the showers, it started with, they renovated the entire uh, I don't, residence, the whole complex. And so that took about six months. And of course, you know, that kind of disruption is stressful for anybody, but somebody whose, you know, memory is not good. It's definitely a challenge. And they lost people. People moved out. It seemed like a lot of people died. <laughs> I don't know about that renovation in the memory care was not really, I mean, it needed it, but yeah, it just seemed, I don't know, it's probably anecdotal evidence, but that ever since they renovated, the occupancy has been down. And so they shuffled around the shower schedule and they put mom in the afternoon. And when I found that out, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. My mom, if she embarked on a project, you know, maybe painting the walls or something, if she'd get to two, three o'clock in the afternoon, she might just wash her face, throw on some more deodorant and just call it a day. She was not an afternoon shower person. 
if she doesn't shower in the morning, it's like, just wait till tomorrow morning. Yeah. So they moved her back to the morning and, and, you know, we haven't had problems since, but one of the things, you know, in the interim struggle, she got snippy with the caregiver and said, you know, I'm not a child. I was like, okay, glad <laughs> yep. you're dealing with that. Not me. Yep. And I try really hard not to ask her questions. Cause I know that's, I did actually ask her the other day. She started in on the, so what's your family up to? Which, and I answer it and I could just see from the expression on her face. She has no idea what I'm talking about. And I, and when she paused to take a breath, I interjected and asked the same question. The story I got was quite interesting. <laughs> you know, it was just like, you could almost see the little bits of reality from different decades of her life all pieced together in this one answer. And I thought, well, at least I don't have to come up with an answer right now because I disrupted that, that question. And, you know, it gave her, I think she had just enough clarity. We'd been out in the fresh air little bit of sunshine, but like I said, it was cloudy. So yeah. it wasn't direct sunlight. And I forced her to drink probably a good 10 ounces of water. And all of it, it was interesting, again, probably anecdotal evidence, but it was like, I haven't seen that kind of clarity in a long time. And it was really brief, but I thought, hmm, I wonder if sunshine, water, wonder if that's related. But yeah, it's like, they're not children. It's not the same thing. No. And it no. makes me insane when people... Yeah. Well, I guess that's how they justify it to themselves, which is why I don't challenge them. Cause I'm like, if that's how you're getting through the day, I, who far be it from me to question. That. Well, another thing too is, um, you know, you see on TV, all these made for TV movies and so many of them now have a threat of Alzheimer's, you know, somebody's finally coming home and making up with dad, making up with mom, you know, because now they have Alzheimer's, but they never show the real true reality of it. I mean, even in, in the movie, and it was a great movie, so please don't anybody sue me. The Notebook. <laughs> um, I saw The Notebook once, and I and it's a great movie. However, it's not realistic for day-to-day-to-day-to-day-to-day-to-day caregiving. Right. Um, or at least it wasn't in my life. You know, so a lot of people watch these made-for-TV movies, and then you say something, and they want to challenge you because I saw this on TV. And that's the way it's supposed to, you know, it's their reality, but it's not your reality. I think they need to watch Still Alice. I've seen parts of it. I'm not sure I want to watch the whole thing because I already have to live that life, although not every day. But the scene I saw was she had to use the restroom. So she went in the house and she couldn't find the bathroom in her own home. Mm. The one that really reality. Yeah, the one scene that got me is uh, I had lived in Washington D.C. and I used to walk the Smithsonian Mall. I mean, I lived at the Smithsonian all the years I lived there. And she would run. She would run the Smithsonian Mall, and she was in the middle of her run and stopped and looked around and had no idea where she was. And she had been running there for years. Yeah, you'd almost think that they like muscle memory. After when my after my dad died, it became really obvious that's how my mom was functioning in their home, was just muscle memory. They'd been there just under 47 years. I think she probably could have done all of the things she did blindfolded. Probably. And, you know, because a lot of people are like, I can't believe I didn't see it earlier. And I'm like, it's not always that obvious. No. You almost have to have like a disruptive incident to shine the light on yeah, mom is a lot worse than I thought. And I knew my mom was bad. We'd go to, you know, she and my dad and I would go to lunch 
and he and I would do most of the talking and she'd just sit there. And I thought I would try to engage her. And I kind of made the excuse of, well, he and I are talking about something we have in common, but mom and I don't have in common. So she's just listening. I don't think she was listening. (laughs) She was, she was somewhere else. She was somewhere else, but that's, that's, well, I wrote the book because I just, I wanted to honor her. I, I needed to vent, you know, for, you know, some of the abuse I took. I was furious at the medical profession. Um, and it's just, I wanted, I wanted to alert people. I mean, this is what I have, but I wanted the, um, I wanted the book to be funny. When I found out mom was coming to live with us, I went to the library and I think I checked out every single book on dementia and Alzheimer's and Dale, my husband would come home from work and I'd be sobbing. Because yeah, they're not, they're not positive. Uh, most of them. No. And, and you know, there's always stories of love and there's always funny stories. Always, even, you know, with caregiving. And at that time, I don't know, maybe, maybe you just didn't write about that, but um, you know, cause we're looking at 10 years ago, but I wanted, there were a lot of funny stories with mom and there were a lot of stories of love and uh, I wanted to share that too. Yeah. That's always good. Are you familiar with the alls authors? Yes, and uh, I have contacted them and um, haven't heard anything back from them. I, I don't. I don't know if you automatically get included in um, if their organization or or what. But I have made contact with them regular um, recently. I will. I have to reach out again. There was somebody I wanted to talk to, and I they said, "Oh, we've sent them a message," and I haven't heard back. So I need to go back through the. 15 different ways people can contact me, which is getting to be a challenge (laughs) and find out who it was I wanted to talk to because I've talked to a number of all's authors and I know one of them will, will connect me. So I'll tell them about you as well. Thank you. Before we wrap up, do you give me three really good tips that you learned that people listening can take advantage of hopefully? What in caregiving or just in general? In care, we had a caregiving, walking this journey. Walking this journey? Um, well, for me, I'm very faith-oriented. And um, once, once I got settled into a good church and I made friends, I had people who would, even if they didn't understand what I would go through, would support me. And that is important. You've got, you've got to have friends that are not going to give you advice, that are just going to love you. Or friends that are going to show up and say, you know, here's a dozen chocolate chip cookies and a Starbucks. You know, you need that. You really, really need that. I did not take care of myself. Um, basically, I would I would work at the doctor's office from 6.30 in the morning to 2.30. Um, and the only thing I'd eat in those eight hours would be a venti frappuccino and peanut butter. I just, that's not good. No, it wasn't. And I knew it was stupid and I paid for it. I paid for it with weight and I paid for it for, you know, some problems with my health. You've, you've got to find ways to get some fruit, get some water, get some real food. You're going to have good days and bad days, but you know, don't be, don't be hitting the tequila every night, you know, or chain smoking because we all have a tendency when we're that exhausted to just go to what feels good and not what is good. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, take really, really good care of yourself. And also it's, 
it's just okay to walk out the door sometimes. I mean, I, I would say learn about respite care with, your, with whoever you're caring for. You need to get away. You need to get away. And if you have nobody who can come in and take care of whoever you're caring for for two or three days for you to get away on a regular basis, a dear friend of mine, when he was taking care of his mother, and he said, I got to get away from her. She was, she was very nasty. And um, he hired a caregiver to come in like one weekend a month, and he would check into a hotel right around the corner. And, you know, he would sleep and sit by the pool and read books and watch movies and come back home on Sunday night and be ready to go for another month. So if you don't put yourself first, you can end up, you know, in that position. I had an aunt that took care of my grandmother for eight years. And basically there was a family situation. She didn't get the help she should have gotten from family. She probably did 90% of it. Well, by the time grandma died within two years, she was in a nursing home for Alzheimer's. Oh Lord. So, my aunt took care of my grandmother. Mm-hmm. They lived on grandma's social security. So when my grandmother died, guess what happened to my aunt? And my aunt is the youngest of four. Now my mom was at the very early stages of her disease. And so I think my dad, I don't know, I'm not really sure. And I'm not going to ask like, why did the, you guys all let this happen to her? Mm-hmm. Cause my aunt lives on welfare mm-hmm. and you know, my aunt has had other issues in her life, but I don't know. That's not, that's not cool. But there's a statistic and you've probably heard it is that 65% of caregivers are either hospitalized or die before their carry. Yes. That's how important taking care of yourself is. I know when I came home on Monday from visiting my mom and it was about maybe two and a half hours. I usually go for about an hour and a half to two hours. So it was slightly longer than normal because we went to the park. I was exhausted. I mean, I just like literally just wanted to eat dinner and just face plant into the pillow and go to sleep. Yeah. And it's like, I can't go to bed at eight o'clock. I just can't. <laughs> yeah. but I was, I mean, I, I used to, I have rotary on Mondays, go to the gym. I go to rotary. Then I used to come home and if I needed to do work, I would do work. If I needed, you know, a client wanted a business portrait, I do a business portrait. There's, I can't do anything on Mondays. I the, the best I can do is up, upload my Instagram story around four o'clock. Yeah. And even that sometimes is a bit of a challenge. And it's like, it just kills me. I'm like, yeah. I cannot do anything after I deal with her. I should Emotion- almost go later. I think emotional exhausting, uh, emotional exhaustion is the toughest. Yeah. And I, and that's just three hours. I don't know how people do this every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week without harming themselves or their loved one or both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe not taking care of ourselves. I mean, I do, but a lot of people don't. Maybe that is there's maybe that's their self-harm. I don't know. I just know when I found out my dad expected mom to come live with me, which nobody ever talked to me about. It was like, yeah, hell no. I just turned 50. My daughter just moved out. Uh, no, it's not happening. Yeah. And thankfully their home was fully paid for eight years ago. They have really cheap uh, property taxes for California. And between that, we've rented out the house for social security and my dad's um, money from my dad's investments. She can live there for the rest of her life, even if it is 10 more years or 15. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Because there's certainly no way. I mean, I didn't want her two years ago. I don't want her two years from now. That's for sure. No. And I back up to open space that she might wander out into. I have a gas 
range in the kitchen that I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, it's a great range, but if you lean up against it, the burners can come on. I mean, you're like, how did I do that? I'm just leaning against the stove. Yeah. And too many dangers and you can't be home with her all the time. No. And it's like, if I was 70 when he had died, I might've considered it, but not about 50. I mean, I go to the gym, I go to rotary. I ride my bike with a cycling group. You know, we do try to travel, but we're both self-employed. <laughs> Sometimes isn't that easy because you know it's like mm, pay the bills or go away. Mm, guess pay the bills. And you know I just I was not ready to to just end all of my my life. I mean I would have had to stay home with her. I wouldn't have been able to work unless I'd hired somebody to come in and take care of her, which she could have afforded. But it wouldn't have been the right thing for her here because first off she'd be telling me that stupid story about the dogs because I have three dogs. And that story makes, when she launches into that story, I'm pretty good at disrupting that one because I don't want to hear it anymore, <laughs> especially yeah. when she says it in front of my grandmother. <laughs> my mother had a story about a dog that she would literally finish, start again, finish the story, start again, finish the story, start again. Yeah. Yep. Well, the funniest thing is my mom had a friend. She moved out in November, but the first year and a half, my mom was in the residence. Her really good friend we were sitting along, you know, sitting, chatting, the three of us, and mom launches into the story, and this gal slaps her leg and says, you've told me that story 803 times, and I thought I was going to hurt myself because I was trying so hard not to laugh because I thought, okay, if your friend who lives in memory care with you can say that, I think that's elder abuse, lady. <laughs> And then a couple months later, we were all, they have a beautiful courtyard and nice wicker furniture. And we were sitting out there and mom launches into the story again. Cause my mom's dog was with her until they renovated. And then doggy had to go cause doggy wasn't good about going outside all the time. So we're all sitting outside and mom launches into the story and her friend just starts parroting it. And I thought, Oh great. Now I'm getting to hear it from both of you. <laughs> but I thought you have pro you have said this story so many times that you have programmed this poor woman whose mind is only minorly better than yours with this story. This is not funny. This is cruel. <laughs> this is cruel. I felt so bad for her friend. <laughs> I was like, this is not, and that's why you know, people say, oh, you're going to miss that story. No, I'm not. No, mm -mm. no, no, I've no, no. Yeah. Cause I've heard, I mean, it's, and it's changed from, well, when I was pregnant with my oldest, you mean me? And then she looks at me like, eh, I don't know. To, well, and I don't know if my grandmother said it when my parents were about to get married because my mom had a dog. And my dad was in the Marines, so he was gone during the week. And I think he came home during the weekends. At least some of the, not maybe not every weekend. Because we're in Northern California. He was in 29 Palms. It's like all the way in Southern California. And so she had the dog. That was like her only companion outside of work. And the, the story has morphed into when she was getting married that my grandmother said, well, now you're going to be getting rid of the dog. So I'm not sure which story is yeah. true. No. I know the one, I know she said it about when my mom was pregnant with me. Because that story I heard before mom's mind was that bad. But yeah, when my mom starts talking about that story in front of my grandmother, it's like... <sighs> slam the pillow over her face because <laughs> it's like oh that's kind of rude <laughs> it was rude for her to say that it's rude for you to repeat it in front of her 
but I understand. She just, it's like she sees my dogs launches into that story. Yeah. Because I took my, I talked to, I had a, a guest on about dementia dogs and canine caregivers and golden retrievers are the perfect breed to be a dementia dog. So I thought, oh, hey, okay, what the heck? I've, I took my oldest with me and he did not seem comfortable. I have three golden retrievers. I think I said that. So I took the youngest who's almost two and he's, when he's on his leash with his training collar, he's very calm and he's very loving. Take him off the leash and he's berserk, but I left him on the leash and took him and, oh my gosh, he just tolerated those ladies, just petting and petting. Of course, my mom launched into that story. Each new person that saw my dog, mom would say, well, when I blah, 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 <laughs> just going to ignore her. <laughs> and then it was funny because one lady thought he was her dog and she didn't like the training collar. It's a pinch collar and they look very nasty. And they're, they call them pinch collars for a reason and choke chains for a reason. So you can like, doesn't take a lot of mental powers to figure out which one is better. Although the pinch collars look, they look cruel. And oh my gosh, she was so unhappy that this dog had this collar. Like you're choking him. And she was giving me the business about this dog. I'm like, okay, we're going over to the assisted living side now. Cause I'm done with it. <laughs> Not arguing with this old lady that this is my dog. And she kept calling him by a different name. I'm like up oh, done with that. Time to take the poor little guy oh. to the, to the other side. And he loved it. But he did sleep really soundly then. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah, I think it was about a little, um, little more than an hour. I was trying to keep an eye on the clock because I, I have a neighbor who has, has a therapy dog. And she says that the dog can only take about an hour. So I thought, yeah. okay, well, Bella's older and small. And Remy is almost two and a golden retriever. So I thought he could probably handle more than a little, you know, 10-pound dog. So where can people get your book? Amazon and Kindle. Or if they want to contact me at um, Luke 1-4. Well, it's, um, I have two emails. And I think you have the one, the DEUT 1.6. That's the one. I think so, yes. Okay. Um, if they want one, if they want a signed copy, they can contact me and I can take the credit card and I'll mail them one. But um the book on Amazon is $14.95. Kindle is $3.99. Yes. Awesome. Well, make sure that your email is in the show notes. Thank you. So that people can get it. All right. And when did you publish it? I published it at the end of 2015. Okay. So it's been around a little bit. Been around. It's a, it's a growing genre of literature. Yes. Yeah. Which is good. Sad, but good. It'd be nice if all of us got put out of business because the disease got cured. But I'd love it. I don't think that's happening. And it might happen in my daughter's lifetime. Maybe mine if I live as old as my grandmother. I got 49 years to go. We can only help. <laughs> as long as I have her mind. That's it. That's, that's, the, that's the clue. I do tell a story. She was, we had a family gathering here. It was just, and we were keeping it small. So it was her, my mom, my dad. My husband and I, maybe my daughter, probably my daughter at the time. And I said, you know, I got the fat gene from your side of the family, which is, I can prove it for the photographs. I said, I better not have gotten the dementia gene from mom's side of the family. And she just looks at me and says, well, you wouldn't remember if you did. <sighs> and I was like, I better have your brain genes because that was so 
fast and sharp. And she was in her mid to late nineties. I think she was like 96 or seven at the time. And I thought, I'm not that quick. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope I take after her and not the other side of the family, but I do everything I can to, to prevent anything from happening or slow it down if it does. Well, good luck to you. I'm so glad we contacted each other. Or me too. Thank to me. Yeah. Yes. Thank you very much. You're and welcome. I will let you know when this is coming out. It'll okay. be coming out in May. All right. All righty. So you have a fantastic evening. You too. Take thank care. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. I want to remind you, if you need help right this minute, you have a question you need answered right now, you can contact the Alzheimer's Association 24-7 hotline. Their phone number is 1-800-272-3900. Thanks for tuning in to Fading Memories. And as always, I'll be in your ears again next Tuesday. Coming up in just a sec is a promo from another podcast that you might find helpful. It's called Ang Zenity, and it's about a gentleman who's been through all types of mental health struggles and how he managed to come out the other side. And it's a way for you to find ways that you can do better with your mental state. And I know caregivers need that. So I hope you enjoy. And if you like it, give it a listen. Do you or someone you know struggle through life with anxiety-related mental disorders? Ever get that feeling that you are one of the few? I'm here to tell you that you are not alone. Take a journey with me as I talk about key points in my past and how they may have led to me being diagnosed with anxiety and panic disorder. After which, we will talk about different ways to tone down the anxiety and maybe even beat it together on anxiety. The easiest way to remember the name is by thinking about how one searches for a state of zen in the midst of the anxieties of life. My name is Gerald, and I'm the host of Anxiety.